MSW Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations. Hi there, I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Spy Talk. The war between Israel and Hamas has been so shocking and horrendous and directly related to so many Americans and American interests in the Middle East that it's almost completely overshadowed many dramatic events elsewhere. Such is the case with Ukraine's valiant struggle to evict the Russians from the remaining territory they've occupied since their brutal invasion of February 2022. This past week, for example, the Washington Post, Shane Harris and Isabel Koshujian reported new and intriguing details on that controversial September 2022 sabotage of the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline deep in the Baltic Sea between Sweden and Poland, which was to be a major conduit of Russian fuel to Western Europe. Harris, a distinguished intelligence and national security reporter for the Washington Post, is my guest today. In 2021, he was part of the team that won the Pulitzer Prize for public service for stories about the January 6th attack on the Capitol and efforts to overturn the presidential election. In 2019, he was part of the Post team that was a finalist for the Public Service Award for coverage of the murder of Saudi exile journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Shane Harris, welcome to Spy Talk. First, tell us what Nord Stream is and why its destruction in September 22 was and remains, well, so explosive. Right. So thanks for having me. Uh, Nord Stream is a network of undersea natural gas pipelines. They run from Russia to Germany underneath the Baltic Sea. Uh, It's actually Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, you'll hear it referred to. Nord Stream 1 is this older set of pipelines that had been delivering gas for a number of years. And Nord Stream 2 was one that was about to go online before the war in Ukraine began. Uh, And in September of 2022, a series of explosions severed three of the four pipelines in this network. Um, At the time, uh, it was a a very alarming incident. People will remember seeing images of natural gas bubbling to the surface, and it looked like the sea was kind of boiling in some spots. Uh, Initially, speculation was that maybe the Russians had done this as some kind of form of blackmail or state terrorism against the West, basically signaling we will cut off your energy supplies uh, for supporting Ukraine. Winter was approaching. Um, and it set off this big mystery of who done it, who had actually launched this really devastating high stakes attack on a piece of civilian infrastructure, which was not obviously a military target. The Russians own through Gazprom, the state 
uh, energy company, 51% of the pipeline, but the rest of it's owned by a consortium of, of European companies, including Germany. Um, the pipeline had been very divisive and controversial. We can get into that if you want, but it was this huge mystery of who actually launched this spectacular attack on this really critical piece of um, civilian energy infrastructure. Yeah, and, and there have been no more suspects than in, in an Agatha Christie yes. mystery. Uh, Germany blamed Russia. There were stories of blaming the CIA or the U.S. Uh, everyone's been blamed. Uh, you say, and, and it's not the first time you guys have reported this, that the Ukrainians did it. According to your reporting, how did the Ukrainian saboteurs do it? Well, what we have found through our reporting over several months and with this more recent story is that a team of, we might call them commandos, let's, let's just say, mm -hmm. of six people uh, rented a sailboat uh, using fake identities. The boat departed from Germany uh, and then sailed out to a location on these pipelines and using deep sea diving equipment, some number of those people went down to the pipelines uh, and planted explosive charges on the outside of them. You know, whether they were timed or remotely detonated, we still don't know. Uh, but they then leave the scene, and then in September, late September, the explosion happens. What we have found subsequent to, to that reporting as well is that uh, individuals who were involved in planning for this uh, were members of Ukraine's special operations forces. Uh, and one guy in particular we can talk about who sort of acted as a coordinator for this operation named Roman Chervinsky. Um, what's notable about these individuals is that they have a history in the Ukrainian military in special operations forces. And according to our reporting, ultimately kind of answered up the chain of command to a, a guy named Valery Zeluzhny, who is the a chief of staff of the uh, armed forces in Ukraine, the top military officer in Ukraine. Um, so this was not an operation that we understand was authorized by President Zelensky. He did not give express authorization for this, according to our reporting. But it is an operation that fits kind of within this umbrella of Ukrainian covert operations against Russia that we have seen since the invasion began back in 2022. Um, this is probably one of the most controversial of them uh, and one that the Ukrainians don't openly take credit for the way they do some others. Um, but very high stakes, took a lot of planning. Uh, 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 we, we have reason to believe this probably took several months to be planned. Uh, the Americans were aware of some of it, and we can talk about that if you want as well. Um, but the, the the skill for doing this, I think, comes down to um, having people who were able to not just use fraudulent identities and kind of you know rent a boat under false pretenses the way they did, but who had the requisite skill to actually dive down to the floor of the sea and plant explosives, mm -hmm. which is you know not impossible, but you have to have special knowledge to do that. Uh, and, and and our reporting suggests that those are people within the special operations community. It was, it was a very complicated and sophisticated operation with many moving pieces in it, all of which could have fallen apart and exposed the saboteurs. Um, I want to get back uh, to this question of what did Zelensky, what did Zelensky know, and when did he know it, or did he know it? Um, but tell us first about this guy Roman Chervinsky, who you say coordinated the attack. He's denied it, as you reported, uh, but he's conducted other daring covert operations. One of which, oddly enough, landed him in jail last April. So tell us about him and why he's in jail. 
Right. So Roman Travinsky is a he's a decorated uh, colonel, uh, forty eight years old. He has worked in Ukraine special operations forces. And as he was described to us as the coordinator of this Nord Stream operation, meaning that he was managing logistics and support for this six-person team that I mentioned that rented the boat and then ultimately went down and planted the explosives. Uh, he absolutely has a history of some really daring uh, and risky intelligence operations, a number of which he has taken credit for publicly. Uh, he was involved by his account and others too. Uh, in uh, kidnapping a witness to the shootdown of the uh, Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 over Ukraine a number of years ago, which folks will remember, uh, which killed everyone on board. Uh, he was involved in a very controversial and high-profile operation well-known in Ukraine that's been dubbed Wagnergate, which was an effort to lure mercenaries fighting for the Wagner uh, uh, um, Russian mercenary force into Belarus to try and capture them and take them back to be prosecuted in Ukraine. Uh, what landed him in jail last April was an operation that he was involved in to attempt to lure a Russian pilot out of Russia to defect to Ukraine and bring along with him his aircraft, which the Ukrainians would then capture and then and then presumably have for you know their own purposes. Uh, that operation didn't go as planned. And what Travinsky is accused of is launching this mission on his own prerogative without authorization, something he denies. And in the course of this, giving away the coordinates of the airfield to the Russians who then hit it with rockets and, uh, and uh, causing death and injury. So that is sort of the, the incident that has landed him in the slammer right now. Uh, what Travinsky and his defenders will say is that he's really there more as a political prosecution by aides close to President Zelensky, who have had it in for him for some time, uh, notably Andre Yermak, who is someone who has been a subject of tremendous criticism from Chervinsky. They have uh, appeared to have a real beef with one another. Well, this is really interesting, uh, what his uh, relationship was with the presidential palace, the presidential guard and the president himself, um, whether he's uh, raises the question whether he's a rogue agent or not, and whether they've thrown him in the jail is sort of to make the case that he's rogue, that, that no one sponsored his uh, operations, but in fact they did. Speaking of which, let's go up a step to General Valery Zelusha. Uh, Ukraine's highest ranking military officer, who you say planned the operation, adding that, quote, Ukraine's intelligence and military establishment is often in tension, in tension with its political leadership. Are we to understand that President Zelensky didn't know about it? He's denied that Ukraine had any role in the Nord Stream sabotage. Was Is he, is he covering his ass or was he blindsided by by Zelushny. Can you straighten that out for us? It's a very good question. And, and, I'll, and I'll say, I don't think we 100% know. But what we do understand are, are two things. One, from our reporting, and I should say some of this reporting that we've done is based on information that was obtained by the Dutch military intelligence service and was reported over to the CIA back in June of last year. And we've written about that as, as of other news organizations. The Nord Stream operation was designed according to this Dutch intelligence, so that President Zelensky would not know about it. There are others who say, and they use their words carefully, these are other officials that we've talked to, that they don't believe that President Zelensky authorized this operation. What I think this leaves open in the possibility is that President Zelensky 
understands that there are covert operations that Ukraine is going to undertake in the mission of defending itself and attacking Russia. And he may not necessarily know about or authorize every single one explicitly. Um, what's also, and, th and that I think stands to some reason, although it, it, to our American ears, that will sound very strange. I mean, we would not imagine, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff planning a covert operation without getting permission from the president to do so. But, you know, there is some wiggle room and deniability that seems built well, into these missions. Let me ask you, it sounds a little bit like Zelensky worrying aloud, who will rid me of this turbulent pipeline? Yeah. Could that there, be the I, case here? I think that could be the case. And, and one reason I think that that's a plausible argument is because Ukraine had very much opposed vocally for years the Nord Stream pipeline. They saw it as a way of uh, basically yoking Europe to Russia for its uh, energy future with dependence on natural gas. And the pipeline bypassed Ukraine quite purposely, which then doesn't collect any transit fees from the movement of gas from Russia over to Europe. The Ukrainians hated the pipeline. Um, the Americans were no fans of the pipeline. It's one of the interesting things that when you talk to officials about whether you, they blame Ukraine for this or not, I think they're all actually kind of glad that the pipeline is out of commission. Um, but to the question of whether Zelensky authorized it directly, our reporting is that in this case, he didn't. But I think we have to leave open the possibility that he understood and clearly does understand that Ukraine is launching various covert operations, you know, w with the goal of protecting Ukrainian interests uh, and and uh, uh, making life difficult for Russia, which is, I think, how the Ukrainians who did the Nord Stream operation view what they did, that this was something that was ultimately beneficial to the country. Right. And, and you kind of imply that uh, Ukraine's interest in destroying the uh, or sabotaging the pipeline might have been uh, economic or financial as much as it uh, would have been tied to the war and hurting uh, Russia's uh, offensive in, in, in Ukraine. So is it possible that the motivation here was more to regain Kiev's uh, interest in having the uh, gas flow through Ukraine's pipes rather than directly to Germany from Russia? Yeah, I think that that could be part of the interest here. I think that um, – you know, from Ukraine's perspective, it also helps in some way to hasten the decoupling of Europe from Russia uh, when it comes to natural gas. And I mean, obviously, when Russia invades Ukraine, the West is looking for alternative sources of energy, right? I mean, basically, it's like we're not going to continue buying Russian oil and Russian gas. We being, I'm just saying, the West. And I think that Ukraine maybe views the Nord Stream destruction as a way of kind of both speeding that up and guaranteeing it. Also, you know, as a way of ensuring that there's no going back. I mean, now Nord Stream is not the only pipeline, but I think you can imagine that by cutting it off, it leaves no possibility for the Germans to consider, for instance, well, maybe we can renegotiate with the Russians and get some more gas from the pipeline. Um, this is not to say, by the way, that, you know, I think that many officials would have necessarily counseled Ukraine to do this. This is a pretty audacious strike. And we understand that when the CIA spoke to the Ukrainians about it in June when they received information from their Dutch counterparts, they conveyed to the Ukrainians, we don't approve of you doing this. Doesn't mean necessarily, I mean, that, that necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean they told them to stop, but they said, you know, we don't approve of this. But now that it's done, I think that a lot of officials that we've talked to in the West 
see this as something that maybe is a net positive because, you know, it's kind of a way of, you know, burning the ships when you get to the new world. So everyone's very motivated to go forward <laughs> with the mission. Yeah. And we're now, uh, you know, wandering into the territory of, of spook speak. Yeah, exactly. We don't approve of this. <laughs> and you walk out of the room. Can you shed any more light on conversations between CIA who was involved, like Bill Burns, was he directly involved? Did he have a meeting with Zelensky and say, we don't approve of this? Our understanding is that officials at the CIA, and I believe this would have been handled principally out of the station in Kiev, where you know you have a chief of station in, in the capital there who is the CIA's top representative. They had a conversation with someone we identify in the piece as an intermediary, someone they knew, uh, to say, basically convey to General Zeluzhny that the United States doesn't approve of this, which is, again, not to say don't do it. Uh, if you do this, we want it on record that we were not co-signing on this operation. CYA. You, right? There's an element of that, I think. Um, it's interesting to me that General Zeluzhny, when we've interviewed him about this subject, he has said, well, no one from the CIA ever said anything to me. And I think that he's actually being honest. I don't – no one from the CIA talked to him, but the CIA had someone talk to him about this. <laughs> and, 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 and I think that you know when you talk to – U.S. and European officials, too, in this context, they also hasten to add, and we have no reason to think that President Zelensky authorized this. So it is very much their way of saying, this is a Zeluzhny operation in terms of the way it's controlled. We didn't approve of it. At the same time, you know, the White House is not shedding tears over the fact that Nord Stream has been taken exactly. offline. Exactly. We have to step away for a second, back in a few. Okay, I'm back with Shane Harris. Uh, this raises the question to me of why do you know this? <laughs> why are you learning this? Who's talking to you, if you can say, and what's their motivation of putting the story out? Well, I can't, I can't talk to our source, speak about our sources, obviously, but I will say that people who defend Roman Chervinsky, and many of them have shown up in court. Uh, some of them wearing T-shirts with his face on them with a free Chervinsky hashtag on it. Um, uh, prominent Ukrainian military officers have shown up trying to testify on his behalf. This has been covered extensively by the Ukrainian press where Chervinsky is a pretty big story. Um, I think that these people are trying to portray him as someone who was acting number one in what he thought were the best interests of Ukraine. And number two, who was not a rogue operator, who was following orders, who was doing what he was told by people up the chain of command who ultimately go up to General Zeluzhny. And, and I think that those people have an interest in defending him both as uh, you know, an, an operative and as somebody who's working within a system. And I think many of those defenders also are really angry at the presidential administration and the advisors and officials surrounding President Zelensky with whom they've had a really long running tension. I mean, I mentioned this tension between the military and security communities in Ukraine and the presidential administration. I mean, that's kind of putting it mildly. I mean, Chervinsky has given interviews in which he accuses Andrei Yermak, the head of the presidential office, of being a Russian asset. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they've really come out firing 
Uh, well, what's them. the credit? Uh, what level of credibility do you uh, ascribe to that? It's very hard for me to know. I mean, there are so many back and forth, you know, accusations. I mean, that's about as serious you can get. It's it, a Russian agent serious. in Zelensky's inner circle. I mean, yeah. Can you can you imagine, you know, a colonel in the special operations forces in the United States coming out and saying that, you know, the president's chief of staff is a spy for China? I mean, it would kind of be the equivalent mm-hmm. of that. Um, and, and I am not in a position to assess the credibility of those claims. But what I can say is that Travinsky and others have made them repeatedly uh, and, and, and insinuated it to us when we inquired with him, you know, about um, uh, his responsibility in Nord Stream. So I think that the people who are defending Chervinsky want to make it clear, look, he is acting in Ukraine's interests. And what he did here in the case of Nord Stream is very much of a piece with other operations that he has undertaken, which they say were not rogue. And this comes back to this issue of what he's in jail for with attempting to lure this pilot you know, uh, from Russia, he's accused there of exceeding his authorities and being a rogue operator. And that really irks his defenders who say, no, 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 no. That's not what happened here. Uh, And this is the same as other operations that he undertook. And they say that uh, General Solushny, the highest ranking military officer, uh, authorized and planned and directed this entire operation. So (laughs) not to get into inside baseball, why isn't he in jail? Well, you know, it's an interesting question too, isn't it? I suppose that, you know, first of all, nobody is publicly taking credit for Nord Stream, right? So they agree not to talk about Nord Stream. I think that Chervinsky's defenders would say that he is being conveniently made the fall guy for this plane operation, right? I think many of them would like to see General Zaluzhny come out and defend him vocally. Um, You know, General Zaluzhny is... Not overtly, but he is, I think, considered a political rival to President Zelensky. If he weren't running the military, there are those who would like to see General Zeluzhny run for president. Um, Mm. So those politics are wrapped up in this as well. But I think that what we're seeing here is, you know, mounting, including in this defense, this very public defense, people showing up in court for Chervinsky is trying to put pressure both on the presidential office, but I think also on General Zeluzhny to kind of come forward and say, like, look, this guy is one of ours. You know, he is not some rogue operator here. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that he would take credit for Nord Stream. Um, but for those operations that Chervinsky has taken credit for, he's saying, you know, don't make me the fall guy here. I'm not acting all on my own. And, and we all know that. And what is the Biden administration's position on all this right now? What Have they responded to you uh, in the wake of this story, by the way? They have not. Um, and uh, it's notable that uh, Andre Yermak was here uh, in Washington in the recent days meeting with White House officials. He gave mm. a speech at the Hudson Institute. Uh, this hasn't really come up. And it's very interesting when you talk to people, you know, off the record, you know, whether they be U.S. officials, European diplomats, you get kind of the same answer, which is nobody wants to talk about Nord Stream. <laughs> you know, they all understand what happened. There is nobody who is privately claiming, no, 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 Russia did it. They acknowledge, some of them explicitly will acknowledge their understanding based on information that they have that Ukraine is responsible. But they're not upset that Ukraine did it. You know, I mean, mm. President Biden is never going to come out and say, good for Ukraine for blowing up that pipeline. But we'll recall that in the days prior to the invasion of Ukraine, he gave a press conference, I believe, with the German chancellor standing next to him and promised that if Russia invaded Ukraine, Nord Stream 2, the newer pipeline, would not be going forward. 
the Biden administration has been very explicit in their opposition to the pipeline. Uh, and so I think that a lot of their silence in this case, their on-the-record silence, I would not take as them trying to coyly confirm they know Ukraine did it, but they're not coming out and condemning Ukraine for it. Uh, if anything, they've just kind of, they tried to point the finger at Russia initially. They stopped doing that after a while too. But I think everyone's just ready to move on from mm. this event. I think we have to address this earlier story, very controversial story by Seymour Hersh mm -hmm. as well, who reported that uh, the Biden administration is, was responsible for this operation. It was a very convoluted story uh, based on anonymous sources uh, saying that it was directed out of the White House and so on. What do you think of that? I guess by your own reporting, you're saying that's wrong. I think it's fantastical. I just don't think it's true. Uh, I, I don't think that it's even remotely true. Um, there are elements of his story that have kernels of truth. I mean, for instance, I mean, he talks about in the story, which, uh, uh, as you say, is based on anonymous sources, I think largely based on one source by That's his own right. account. He talks about the Americans doing this operation uh, in concert with the Balt Ops Naval Exercise, which is this big joint Navy exercise that takes place in the Baltic Sea back in June. Well, that's interesting because according to our reporting, the original Ukrainian plan was to do the bombing actually right after the Balt Ops exercise as kind of a sense of you know cover. So that's interesting. I don't know if that's coincidental or if he has some kind of like element of a true story in there that's been misunderstood or extrapolated into something false. Um, there's just no indication that we've ever had that the CIA participated in this. Aware of it? Yes, because they found out in June uh, information from the Dutch. I don't know if they had some inkling about this even before that, but in June, clearly the Dutch intelligence service comes to the CIA and says, we understand the Ukrainians might be planning to blow up the pipeline. Um, but nothing to support CIA's involvement. And I, and I frankly just find it, you know, in covering this administration now, for uh, since it's the beginning of it, this is a very cautious administration. Exactly. I cannot imagine Joe Biden giving an authorization to blow up the pipeline of European mm -hmm. allies in yeah. some way, much less Bill Burns concocting the plan, which is what Cy reports. Yeah, that was my initial reaction. I just laughed, actually. Yeah, it doesn't make that any story. sense. I said, this is not the Biden White House that I know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these guys have been dragged to the, to the battlefield uh, – unwillingly, you know, um, afraid to antagonize the Russians and so on. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that, for not yeah, antagonizing the Russians, of course. And uh, you might say that they've actually managed it brilliantly, whether by design or by accident uh, or inattention, uh, by slowly escalating U.S. involvement and weaponry in the war uh, so that we've tested the Russians at each uh, with each escalation. Oh, they didn't respond to that. Fine, let's let's give them more. Now we're up to F-16s. Um, so um, the idea that they would have uh, planned and executed uh, this operation on Nord Stream just just it doesn't fit the pattern uh, any pattern we know of with a, the Biden White House. Now this story is fascinating to those of us who cover intelligence and covert action and all that, but it's a big deal at this point. Is anybody, uh, is, is it a big uh, uh, controversy uh, in inside Ukraine? Uh, of course, with, with the jailing of Shervinsky and people pissed off about him being uh, uh, thrown to the wolves on this. Uh, but 
has it become is is it a problem for President Zelensky at this point? I, I don't think it is. And, it, and it's a really good point that you bring up because in the beginning of our reporting, and I should say just in the wake of the, the explosion itself, I think that there was a presumption, understandably, and I presumed it too, that this could potentially, this explosion could drive a wedge into the alliance. You know, if it were known that Ukraine had blown up this pipeline, which is essentially, you know, it's it's largely a German operation. Germany is an essential ally in the war with uh, against Russia, a supporter of Ukraine. That if Ukraine were seen as going around recklessly blowing up infrastructure belonging to its allies and jeopardizing the energy flows to millions of civilians, that you know this would be a deeply unpopular action uh, in foreign capitals. We haven't seen it really develop that way, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think privately, a lot of officials are kind of glad Ukraine did this. They mm-hmm. solved the problem uh, for for the West, which is how do we start, you know, decoupling our energy flows and infrastructure from Russia? You know, if we believe, as I think, you know, this is the NATO position that there's no going back to a relationship of how things were with Russia, and they were obviously not good uh, before they invaded Ukraine then that means a future in which the West is not dependent on Russia for energy sources, oil or natural gas. So, you know, you blow up a pipeline, that's a pretty good way of closing off an energy source. I think that it is not blossomed into the political controversy or headache that I initially and others, I think, initially suspected it might be. And I think that's a fascinating part of the story mm-hmm. um, because all these officials know what Ukraine did. You have to wonder if one of the lessons that Zelensky has taken from this also is to say, don't tell me. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't really tell me. I, w- I want plausible denial uh, myself, so it's fine with me. And that we could actually see more daring covert operations inside Russia, maybe more drone attack. I mean, that there was a drone attack on Moscow itself, yep. uh, Red Square. Yep. Um, we've had assassination operations, one of which went terribly awry, although the Ukrainians would say, well, it wasn't that awry. Right. We killed the daughter of our target, but... That's a that's a message. Uh, maybe we'll see some Russians throwing out windows. Um, yeah. So and I, and I think that like and I think that there is too a a sense within the community of people planning these operations that they've been successful, that they've been daring, and another reason why they have kind of cut out, if you like, President Zelensky. And we heard this from sources is that many of them do not trust his advisors not to leak the details of these operations. I found that fascinating that there is a real concern among some of these senior officials that Zelensky's advisors, particularly Yermak, they accuse of basically Travinsky called him a mole. Uh, you know, so they're really there. There is a sense of like I think of real. Paranoia may be too strong a word, but deep suspicion among some of these planners that if you tell too much to the president's office, the word is going to get out. And some of them, I think, suspect that it might even get back to the Russians. So the oper- the deniability is there, but also it's this kind of operational security that the planners of these op- these missions have enforced on their own. And you know, to your point, though, it is kind of working in Zelensky's interests and in Ukraine's interests, isn't it? Gosh, you know, I, I, it just occurred to me that here, what, there's so many odd things that are sort of back to the future stuff uh, involved in this war. I mean, a tank war, <laughs> an invasion in Europe, you know, uh, in, in, in 2023. I mean, it's so bizarre. I mean, it's like we're, 
we're rewinding World War II uh-huh. uh, in so many ways. And here we are on the 60th anniversary of JFK's assassination. And one of the things that marked that period, of course, and we're, you're going to hear a lot about it this week and going forward as we mark the anniversary of the JFK assassination, uh, is there was incredible deep tension between Kennedy and the CIA during that period. Uh, leading up to the assassination, which, of course, has led many people to speculate that the CIA killed uh, JFK, which is no evidence of that. But they're involved in one way or another uh, in events leading up to the assassination. And there definitely was tension between the CIA and uh, Kennedy, who went ahead and, and fired uh, uh, Alan Dulles uh, uh, for the botch to Bay of Pigs. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off course here. But uh, it's like one of the things that's constant. Yeah. In history is palace intrigue. Yeah, totally. And here we it, have it in spades. It is thick in Ukraine. In Kiev, absolutely. And it yeah. won't be the last time. I think we're going to see more. I think the Ukraine's Ukraine's got to be encouraged to think that they can carry out more COVID operations, assassinations, sabotage inside Russia or against Russian interests. Maybe not even in Europe, in Latin America, an assassination of a Russian uh, diplomat, for example. Uh, it's not out of the question. Um, and if it happens, we'll have you back on the show. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Shane Harris. You're such a terrific reporter. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. It's great to be on. Thank you. And that's it for this week's Spy Talk. Be sure to check out our complete podcast archive at the MSW Network or on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, please check out the Spy Talk newsletter on Substack where I and our deeply experienced contributing writers offer a steady diet of intelligent scoops and original analyses. Just Google Spy Talk and you'll find your way there. This edition of the Spy Talk podcast, like all the others, was smoothly produced by Kanai at MSW Media with expert editing from Molly Hawkey. And oh, by the way, that music you've been hearing, that's, of course, Michael Jackson's Thriller. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Stein. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.